Hello everyone, this is George Mapp with the Carolina Tar Wheels. This is part two for our Rob and Caleb show for the Race Across America. How'd it go, guys? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I think it went quite well. We started with the objective of we wanted to go out and ride well, and our team captain of sorts said, like, we're, we're not going to win this thing, so go out and ride and just, like, be safe and have a good ride and do as well as we can. But part of our objective all along was to be doing this for the MS aspect of the race as well. We had lots of good interactions with people. We had a good race. We finished fifth overall out of 13 teams. We roughly kept to our expected goals in terms of pacing and timing. Yeah, it was, and it was an excellent experience all around. Yeah, I agree. You know, last year, um, like I said, I, I call it damn, it's drive across America. And, you know, I had my face on a butt for the majority of the event. And uh, Navigating? Uh, the there's actually a navigator, but I, I have all of the topography of the track that we're on and the mileage. And I also have the distances to the next time station. The responsibility of the crew chief is just deploying the, a new rider and keeping in mind the topography and and just not to get your riders to go to failure, you know, shortening up the stints if it's hilly or if it's hot. We have these units called Cardo. It's a earpiece and a microphone, and the rider has one, and the crew chief has one, and the navigator has one. So we can talk to the the riders that are on track. So there's that communication just for for directional stuff, and also you know getting feedback from the rider. How's it going? How are you feeling? Yep. And then as far as entertainment, we have speakers mounted on the fronts of the follow vehicles. We can play some music in some places during the day. <laughs> I, it's quite regulated. Not in Gettysburg. <laughs> so did you do the night shift? I did. Um, I was supposed to be a, a, a day rider, but it turns out I didn't need my sunscreen. Well, that was probably really good going through the desert at first there, right? The first legs of the journey. Well, we started with the intention of being the day crew. And I don't know exactly what happened to make us switch. I think both teams did stints longer than 12 hours in order to make it to the next target city. Because out west sometimes you were going long distances with nothing. And because of how we did hotels and all of our accommodations... Sometimes we had to like make sure we made it to a particular city at a particular time. Rob, you were looking forward to doing There was a big descent. I did get to do it. It's called the glass elevator. What a trip that is. I think it was a 4,000 foot descent in 11 miles. It was really hot the first day. And when I think it was in the 90s when we got to the top of the glass elevator. And making the descent... Some of the winds coming out of the canyon off the desert floor were unbelievable. You know, 35 miles an hour, pedaling my guts out to go downhill. It felt like being lowered into a furnace. I think it was 112 on the desert floor. Talking to teams after the race, at least one team lost their RV in the heat in the desert. It's a dry heat, but it's still super hot. And so went through. we went through so much water. But we were never riding for more than 15 or 20 minutes at a time. So you had a chance then to get in an air-conditioned car and cool down and get water and get a little bit of food or something if you need it. They had some of those absorbent cloths. I don't know what they're called. It's like some sort of a chamois or something. 
ShamWow or something. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you put them in the in the cooler with the ice water, and uh, and then just take that and wrap it around your neck. And I I rode with that quite a few stints, and that helped a ton. But my friend Rob Ferris, who did the ride solo, he had someone engineer or put together an ice vest for him. So it was it was like a cycling vest, and they just stuck a bunch of ice in it. So, at what point did you get to the checkpoint at uh, Congress, uh, Arizona? So, that was my shift that rode into Congress on our first day on the bike. I think we got in there Sunday morning. And it was really, really awesome. It was probably the best time station of all of the places we encountered on the race. They had it very well staffed, and the local bike club came out and had... They had a big, um, like an inflatable swimming pool. Uh-huh. To to jump in and swim, and they had it well shaded, so it was nice and cool. It was a neat little little place, Congress. I don't know what goes on in Congress, but um, they did. They had a really nice. They had a really nice checkpoint, and it was it was a nice place to be able to rest a little bit and recuperate. Because as we go through this course, there were fifty four time stations, I think, where you just have to report back to Ram headquarters. Like, okay, our team has made it to. Time Station 1 or Time Station 7 or whatever number. So you can keep track of team's progress. And most of them are just like, the Time Station is this little gas station on the left side of the road. There's not actually anything there. Yeah, they said when when they first started doing it, they had this little kiddie pool there. that was, uh, <laughs> And the intent was that riders could like soak their feet. And they said one of the uh, young women that came through there was only about four feet tall. And they said she just dove into this thing. And so they decided to get a bigger pool after that that uh, all the riders could relax in and cool off. That's got to be a great feeling. Once you come off the desert doing a pull through the desert like that, 110 degrees and... Yeah, I mean, I felt bad for the two guys who are currently riding at the time because they couldn't take advantage of it. They had to just keep on riding past because we never, basically, we never stopped. We always had someone going, so. so. I was sleeping. We call it hot bunking. The four-person team that's off will go up the road 250 miles or so to our, our rendezvous point, and they'll check into a hotel, and they'll sleep and shower and eat and what have you. And they'll get up and get ready to go on their shift. And then we trade out. And then the team that's retiring goes to the hotel and gets in the same rooms and the same beds. And we sleep. But checkout's at like 11 o'clock. So we have to get up and be out by 11 o'clock. And then we get in a van and then we go up the road 250 miles and repeat this. Um, So... We'll get, you know, three or four hours of sleep in the hotel and then try and get some sleep in the van. Um, That's pretty hard to do. So my group that started out at night ended up riding during the day. We were the ones who occupied the hotels first. And the most sleep we got was four hours. Each team had an SUV vehicle that was carrying all of our bikes. Then we had a big sprinter van. It's like a large cargo van. And it did have some big captain's chair type seats that you could kick back and try to sleep in. And f- at least with my group of four, we managed to make that work reasonably well. You could, When you weren't riding, you could try to catch 45 minutes or an hour of sleep. It's not like sleeping in your own bed with a real pillow and getting real rest. That Monument Valley was cool to the scenery there. That was the most scenic part of the race. 
that whole stretch of northern Arizona. I slept through it. <laughs> I mean, you guys had some good stuff too, though. Right after Monument Valley, I think, was that Wolf Creek Pass. And that's where we traded off to you guys. Yeah. And you guys then did some pretty major climbing. Yeah, that was Wolf Creek Pass and 10,900 feet. We rotated all four of us. We took, you know, kind of short, fast pulls that, like, a quarter mile. But, you know, we'd get right after it, and it wasn't the sort of climb that you could settle into, you know, in just one year and and uh, and just grind it out. I think on Ram, that is reasonably well appreciated for being one of the bigger and harder, or maybe the biggest and the hardest climb. Yeah, and thank God we got it at night. With the, you know, the night. temperatures come down, and... and you know, we're thankful that it's only 85 or 90. <laughs> <laughs> well, up, up high there, it was, it was still hot. At the base of the climb, I think it was yeah. still pretty warm. Right, um, right. I don't remember. It, was, it got chilly up at the top. I knew we were getting close to the summit, and I, I've been given the honor of, of making the descent. And so I was, you know, digging around in my bag looking for arm warmers and a vest because I knew it was going to be chilly. And it was quite a treat to descend that one. Somebody told me that I got a seventh place overall, you know, 91 riders or something. So I thought that was oh, kind of cool. cool. Yeah. Well, not bad for at night. How'd your dad make out? Oh, he did pretty well. I mean, he's done this twice before. And for me coming in, it was, I had to really think about how to pace myself and what is a proper intensity to take out. He'd done it twice before and sort of knew what was in front of him. I think our group struggled a lot early on with the heat. And we picked up a lot of strength once we got over the Rockies and into the Midwest. So there was a checkpoint in Indiana and Bloomington, is that right? Yeah, yeah. You're from Indiana. Was that anywhere near where you're from? Well, so I'm from Kokomo, but I went to school at Indiana University, which is in Bloomington. And my youngest sister is actually a student, a college student in Bloomington right now. So... I've ridden a lot of those roads in the Bloomington area. So that was super fun. And my sister was there and she like brought my dad and I a pizza and stuff. And (laughs) that was nice. Yeah. Well, I guess you were about maybe two thirds of the way through the trip. It was probably a time when you needed a psychological boost. We were neck and neck with the other team from Indiana and we hadn't seen another eight man team for a long time. The first couple days we saw teams all the time, but by the end, we didn't see a lot of other teams, and it was just us and that other, the one other team from Indiana. We would get notes from who's ever got the app up, and the, the app was less than perfect. And when they tell you three miles behind you or five miles behind you, you know how accurate is that? And what does that translate to in, in time and distance? And there was a wonderful story that, that Team 803 from Indianapolis was telling about Caleb and his dad, how they absolutely destroyed them. <laughs> uh, they had a rider out on the road, and Caleb's dad was out hammering away, and and they put a fresh rider on the road, and Caleb's dad proceeded to pull away from him, and then they put Caleb on the road, and then Caleb just did the magic man on him, <laughs> just put a nail in their coffin. Yeah, they crushed him. Yes, because we'd caught this team first in just on the very eastern part of Colorado, going up over the last of the mountains near Levada, Colorado. Um, And we hadn't seen them for a number of days, but coming close to the end of the race, we could sort of tell based on the app and their GPS position that they were closing in. And they actually caught right up to us in Clarksburg, West Virginia. 
and that's sort of where everything went down that Rob said. Like, it was it was fun to have another team to actively race against. So it was unsure the morning waking up of the last day. You know, where is Team 803? And how hard do you push on the gas? Is this going to come down to a sprint finish after, you know, 3,100 miles? And they were gaming us a little bit where they'd send their team car up to kind of see where we were just so we could see them, you know. And I was telling telling Jeff, hey, Jeff, I think what we should do is we should put a rider out just right in front of them with a team car and let them pass him and let them think that they've passed us when we have our actual riders, you know, 10 minutes up the road. They said no. We beat them fair and square. So West Virginia, we were talking about that before the race, about how difficult it's the up and down the little hills, lots and lots of those. They put the whole route on US 50, which is... A U.S. highway, and sometimes you have to be on the highways just to get across this country, but it just constantly rolled up and down. There was never one huge climb, at least because we were on a highway, nothing was super steep in West Virginia. Lots of total elevation gain and descent and climbing, but no one climb that was super hard. At times, it would transition into a highway with exits and on-ramps, and we were having to deal with merging traffic and cars going really fast and a shoulder that was full of gravel. We got stuck in tons of gravel on the shoulder and just like it got flat tires. Fortunately, both of us got flats really close to the point at which we were going to exchange with the next rider, so we could just run our bike up to the next rider. But still, it was that stretch of road was a little bit of a mess for a number of reasons. But when we traded off to Rob's team for their last set, you guys had four really big climbs in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Jeff, who was kind of the quarterback of our team, had decided that three other cyclists were going to do all the climbs and I was going to do all the descents. So I got to do a little bit of the climbing, but I also got to do some of these descents in the rain without glasses at night with a failing headlight. There was some pucker factor going on. I was 100% dependent on the car behind me. But some of those descents, you know, it's a six or seven mile descent, and then it would kind of flatten out and go through town. I had an 11 mile stint. I had a 14 mile stint winding through town and lots of turns. And yeah, it was just kind of chaos and all. It was kind of, you know, game time decisions. So we're going to do the climbs and you're going to do the downhills and get ready for rain. How much rain did you encounter? That was the only rain that we saw was that one night. Yeah, and for us, we had only had rain once earlier that day, and the race was really on between my dad and I and their two riders. My dad traded off to me, and I started going uphill, and the skies just opened up for about five or ten minutes, going going up a climb, but in some ways it felt like some, I don't know, you're actively riding competitively against this other team. They're in sight. You're working hard, and it's just pouring down rain. But that was the only time we encountered rain, was maybe those 15, 20 minutes in West Virginia. So this was heavy rain that uh, your shoes would fill up with water. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Everything filled up with water. <laughs> yeah. How did they do the laundry? We had one one day we did laundry. Mickey at the hotel. I think she was doing it on the side. <laughs> $10 a load. We all made one big load of laundry. and She did it for us and she even folded my underwear. It's good service. Were there any women on your team? Our crew chief is a female, and 
the assistant to the crew chief was a female. And, and they both have MS, so that was kind of their tie to it. Nicole actually was a RAM official last year, so it was kind of good to get her on our side because she knows all the rules and right. yeah, knows what to look for. And yeah, so. So how was it Annapolis at the end? So the, the finish line was actually about, what, seven miles? Six or seven miles from something like from, that? From city dock. You know, and there's a stage there. And everybody has chances for photographs. And So is there anything in particular that stands out in your mind about this ride? Gettysburg was a trip. Gettysburg, we got there right as the sun was just starting to come up. And there was like, you know, four feet of that Thule fog on the ground. And just, it was super calm. And like, you could see the cannons it was just like something out of a out of a movie. It was um it was really quite cool. I enjoyed that part of it. Like Caleb was saying in the beginning, talking about, you know, how hard do you put your foot on the gas? You know, how do you pace yourself for something like this that's gonna go on for six and a half days? So I, I kind of felt like I didn't push hard enough because I didn't know what the finish was gonna be like. And I didn't know how I was gonna feel on day two. And I didn't know how how much the heat was going to take out of me. I didn't know um, how much food I needed to be eating, how much I needed to be drinking. We we counted up. We counted up at the end. We, I think we drank 15 cases of Ensure, uh, wow. just in meal replacement fluid, and that seemed to work really good for me. Did you stop along the way at restaurants? I mean, my team did a bunch to get food. I mean, there were. I don't think I've eaten McDonald's in years until this ride. And I had so many McDonald's breakfast sandwiches. Because we were frequently getting up at 3 or 4 in the morning to start riding. There's not much open. So our a couple people from the crew would go find something somewhere and go grab. So I would have a bunch of McDonald's breakfast sandwiches. Jimmy John's was really awesome and sponsored the team. And so there were a couple times when we got some Jimmy John's sandwiches Two things that I, I haven't had, and I don't drink pop and I don't eat fast food. And I think Thursday night I drank two Cokes, and yeah. Friday morning I had a double quarter pounder. <laughs> Did anyone have any uh, health issues? I, I got a little bit of an upset stomach at some point, and I recognized it early, and so I stopped drinking. I think I overhydrated a little bit. I started getting a little crampy, and so I slowed down, and within a couple hours, I was kind of back on track. And I got bit by a number of insects and stung by a bee at one point that flew straight in. I was riding my bike, and it flew straight into my leg and stung me. But outside of those things, yeah, we were no crashes. We had two flat tires, and I pulled the derailleur off my time trial bike one day. That was a problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had to fix that one the next night, but I was without a time trial bike for the day. I know, Rob, you can be a mechanic if need be. Did you have a dedicated mechanic there? One of the guys on my crew is actually a full-time bike mechanic, and he had his hundreds of pounds of tools with him and lots of spare parts and stuff. So I lost a brake pad on one of the climbs before the glass elevator descent. So I panicked a little bit, thinking that I wasn't going to get to do it. But thankfully, he had a screw and a brake pad. How was the, in terms of like uh, safety, traffic, were, were there any close calls among your riders? I got coal rolled once in West Virginia. Coal rolling is the, the term I use for um, someone, usually in a diesel-powered vehicle, who will roll up alongside you and then rev the engine hard enough 
that they get a bunch of billowing black smoke pouring out the back. That was probably the worst motorist run in. Most of the time we had a car behind us. There were places we rode that I would not have felt comfortable riding on my own. But having a car behind me made me feel much more comfortable with it. Well, it sounds like you guys had a good trip overall. Will you guys be doing this again next year? I'm trying to put together something. We're thinking about putting together a four-person all-MS patient team. So we'll be looking for crew. Anybody (laughs) who wants to volunteer (laughs) has a minivan, (laughs) their parents' gas card. It was really fun um, from doing it with my dad, which was really cool, to getting to race with just the rest of the team and how our team gelled together was really awesome. Seeing the scenery was beautiful. Um, and the race environment was fun too. I mean, we, we finished fifth, which was a pretty darn good result. I feel like. Sure. Um, and so if the opportunity came up to do this again, I would definitely race it. How did your friend make out that was doing the solo ride? Oh yeah. So Rob, Rob Ferris, um, he ended up finishing fifth in the solo men category. Our team caught him in the big hills in western Maryland. So I think Keegan was on the bike at the time because there's a sort of funny story that he thought I was the one riding and got passed. And then he rode really hard, which after nine and a half days of riding, he was really tired. But he rode really hard to catch back up to our rider thinking it was me just to say hello. And found out it wasn't me and that I was actually in a van somewhere sleeping. (laughs) At which point he was... he felt like I was too lazy and I should be doing this by myself. Um, I mean, I think almost half the field DNF'd. I, I think in the 35 years, there's less than 300 people have ever completed it solo. So have you actually seen him in the flesh? Yeah, so I mean, I, I stuck around Annapolis for a little while after our finish. And so I saw Rob finish and talk to him. He had all kinds of digestive issues at different points. They have to deal with a lot more physiological things that come up because they're riding 20 hours a day instead of four hours a day like we were. He had, has a little bit of mild nerve damage in his left hand from like pinching his wrist and the doctors say it's all going to heal. So I guess he's going to come out of it more or less unscathed. It seems to me like with the technology now where you can monitor where each of the bikers is that they can have a rule where each team has to stay off the road for a certain number of hours, maybe eight hours every day, let them decide whenever they want to do that, just so that people will get some sleep. For the most part, there haven't been big issues. I mean, there was one rider who crashed on a cattle guard in Utah and was hurt pretty badly. A lot of ranchers out there have, have have cattle that are going in big open tracts of land. And to keep them from crossing certain points on the road or getting out onto the road, people build what are called cattle guards, which are basically parallel metal bars with spaces in between them. And the cattle don't want to walk over those. So most of the times you'll see them at the end of a rancher's driveway or something so that they don't have to build a fence across their driveway. Occasionally, though, we found them on the road. And I rode across two or three cattle guards And you generally approach them in the same way you approach train tracks. You just ride over them perpendicular and you'll be fine. But in Utah, there were a couple really gnarly cattle guards that the spacing between the rails was really wide. Um, And I don't know if it just wasn't marked or what happened, but like it was not safe to ride over. Well, thanks guys for coming back and sharing your stories with us. I hope your fundraising efforts paid off. The fundraising is still open. If anybody wanted to go on to Bike the U.S. for MS and can make donations, 
I think we raised $33,000. Yeah, that's I think was the yeah. number that I saw. Yeah. So thank you to folks who donated. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think Team Gears to a Cure has raised over a million dollars. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is George Mapp with the Carolina Tar Wheels.